Hey, welcome to the 73rd episode of Two Writers Slinging Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated scene writer, former ESPN columnist, author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, and a contributor to The Athletic. The music you're listening to is a new jam from MC Whiteout, Football for a Buck, in conjunction with my book of the same name. And this podcast is an ode to writing in all its forms, from journalism to songwriting to screenwriting to novels to romance to comics to whatever genres I'm thinking of. And today's guest is Ian O'Connor, the ESPN staff writer and author of Belichick, the recently released biography of New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick, which has appeared on the New York Times bestsellers list. And this is a really fun one for me, because Ian and I, well, we're both authors who know a thing or two about tap dancing for biography sales. And we're going to talk about book PR today, the highs, the lows, what works, what doesn't work. Not how you write a book, but how you go about selling the damn thing. It's fun, and it's frustrating, and I think fascinating. And it's right now on Two Writers, Slingin' Yang. All right, first of all, thank you, uh, thank you so much for doing this. And I got to say, like, um, the whole book PR thing, which is what I really want to dive into here, is a super weird and unnatural experience, right? Because you're, you're talking about the same subject over and over and over again, but you, you sort of need to. So I, I don't really, is there an alternative to this or is it just what it is? Should we be thankful and not whine about this? I guess so. I guess we should be thankful and not whine about it. But I think you, it, it's, it's very difficult because, well, for me anyway, I don't know how you feel about it, Jeff. It doesn't really come naturally to me to, uh, to be a self promoter and to feel like I'm a used car or a vacuum salesman going door to door. But, uh, so it, it, I struggle with that. I also struggle with well, how much on social media do you constantly barrage people who follow you with, uh, with, uh, book reviews and what other people are saying about it, as long as it's positive. Of course, if it's negative, you generally don't put it out on social media, though occasionally I do, because I think that's right. fair. Um, and, and so I think we should be grateful that people care, but it, it, it's not easy. At least for me, it isn't. And, and I've watched you over the years and tried to, I, I, I think of you as a role model and your work ethic and also in how you market a book. And I think, you are the best at it. I believe I've said this to you before that if a book can max out or its max out capability is a hundred thousand copies, I think you're going to sell 115,000 or 110 wow. or 120. I think if a book is going to max out with anyone else at 50,000 copies, I think you'll find a way to get to 60. And as a publisher, I would always hire you because I, I, beyond knowing I'm going to get a great product, I also know that you're going to sell the max and then some. And I really don't know of any other author I would say that about. Uh, there, there are a few who, uh, who are pretty, uh, pretty damn good at, uh, writing a book and promoting it, but I would put you in a league by yourself. And I, maybe I'm in that second tier. Uh, I think that Houghton Mifflin, who you've uh, worked for, would yep. say that, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty relentless, uh, worker when it comes to, uh, promoting a book. But I have to say it, it sometimes I'm uneasy about it and feel that. Uh, gee, should I, should I hit this again? The same note that I hit yesterday and are people following me on whether it's Facebook or Twitter right. are sick of it. And, and that's where I struggle. And, and I don't know if I should be struggling, but I do. No, first of all, that's very kind of you. And I, I, I've got to say, and I'm being sincere about this. I think you've kicked ass with this book and I really do. And I actually, I think an interesting area in this regard is that thin line that you kind of just touched on between aggressive and obnoxious 
between, <laughs> you know what I mean? Between believing in a product and kind of becoming a pimp between, uh, you know, dignity and sort of losing your dignity. And I think sometimes I really struggle with that, to be honest. I, I do. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe my efforts sell a few more books than they would have if I hadn't. But at the same time, how many times am I going to tap dance on the name of my, for the name of my book? You know, like I just, it's such a soul sucking experience in a lot of ways. <laughs> Don't you find that? It's so, it's like, I just want, I mean, I just want to write the damn book. Yeah. You know? And here's the thing though. And, and I think you would agree with this. Uh, I've worked with some, a couple of really good uh, public relations people at publishing houses and I've worked with some not so good. Mm-hmm. And but I do find that for the most part, and I've only written four books. You've written what, 10? Uh, no, eight, eight, eight. eight. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot more experience uh, than I do in dealing with publicists. But I find that the vast majority of what I would call big hits that you're going to get or I'm going to get, I've gotten pretty much on my own and really through the contacts I've established and being a columnist in the New York market over well, as a journalist, more than 30 years, as a columnist, probably was it about 25 years. And, and so you establish a lot of contacts over time. You've worked at a lot of heavyweight places and you, you've established a tremendous amount of contacts and you mine those in, in, in trying to market the book. And I've done that. So I feel like I've, I've really, I don't want to say I've done most of it on my own, but I feel a certain responsibility and obligation to my publisher and really maybe to myself, my own efforts, because my first three books, I spent two years on each. This book on Belichick, I spent three years and, and there were, it was a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And I feel like I have to honor that work mm-hmm. by marketing the hell out of this book and really uh, me doing most of it. And, and, and so I, I've done that and maybe I could have done a little more and I stopped in certain places where I thought I'm getting obnoxious or, well, I hit this, I hit this note yesterday. Do I really want to come back and retweet somebody else saying something nice about the book five hours later? Right. And, and that, yeah, it's difficult. But again, when you work on something for three years, it's your baby. Nobody else is going to care about it as much as you do. I think you have to do a lot of that and maybe cross the line occasionally and then try to get back on the other side of the line very quickly. <laughs> if you yep. can, uh, if that makes any sense to you, I, I think it probably does. You know, what's interesting is um, you just said something that I, I completely relate to, which is the sort of, it's kind of on you. And, and you hear a lot of people who are new to writing books, or maybe it's a longtime sports writer at SI or ESPN, and they write their first book and they say, they come back and they complain, oh, the publishing company, they didn't market, they didn't do enough to market or they just put one person on it or blah, blah, blah. And I always say what you just said, which is it's on you. Like it is on you. And that is not an indictment. We both, so we both wrote our, our book, your book uh, on Bill Belichick, my book on the USFL. Uh, they were both put out by Houghton Mifflin. Uh, we both had Megan Wilson as our publicist. We, we talked about this. I, I thought she was excellent. I thought she mm-hmm. was great. I thought she was one of the best I've ever worked with. And the moment, I actually thought she had a moment for me that said everything about what a publicist is supposed to do, especially with experienced writers is I was on Morning Joe on MSNBC. And I, I got that appearance myself because I reached out to Willie Geist, who I know a little bit. And so I got the appearance, but I showed up at, on the set and it was me and Mark Leibovitz, who just came out with Big Game, the, yeah. uh, the other right. NFL book. Great mm-hmm. writer, great job. And we were both on the show at the same time and we walked onto the set and every host 
all whatever five people sitting at the desk had a copy of the USFL book in front of them. And there were no copies of Mark's book. And I was asked, I would say 85% of the questions. And I think that is a publicist at her best is when you arrange it, but then she makes damn well sure that it's going to go well. Yeah. And Megan is the best I've ever worked with and, and you've worked with more, but she, she is wonderful and she's got a great work ethic. I think she has a work ethic that matches like yours or mine. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's really all you can ask for. Um, and you have to use your own contacts and that's, Hey, you reached out to, uh, to morning Joe and that's a big hit for you. And, uh, then she, she sort of complimented your work, right? Supplementing right. it by doing what she could to make that experience as positive for you as, as possible and for the book as well. And, and she, I, I can't say there's ever been a time. So I've done three books with Houghton Mifflin, the three with Megan that I ever asked her, so and so needs to get a book tomorrow. This has to be overnighted. This can't wait a second day. She's never failed to do that. She's never failed to get in the hands of a producer or a host, particularly of, of a big outlet. Uh, when I've asked her. So, uh, that is, that's so important. And it also motivates you, as you know, to continue working hard and fighting for your book and fighting for their book when you feel like you have support. And I've gone through the experience where I felt I had no support from a publishing house. And that really can suck the life out of you and kill your motivation. So I've experienced both ends of it. Very appreciative that Megan is the way she is. I, um, I had a real, I, so Gotham no longer exists. Did you ever write a book for Gotham? I did not. Okay. So I did, uh, my Walter Payton book is with Gotham and, um, I arranged like a guest column in the Chicago, uh, Sun Times. And one of the publicists who no longer works in the business actually called the Sun Times without telling me and asked if they could move the date that they were going to publish it. And they canceled mm. it. Stuff like that can drive <laughs> you insane or, or you line up excerpts. Uh, one thing I'm big on and that, that Megan was great on is, I want to get a bunch of different excerpts in different places, spread the market a little bit, because I don't think people compare. I don't think if you have an excerpt in ESPN and then you have another one uh, on CNN.com, that readers are going to say, oh, I don't need to buy this book anymore because I read two excerpts. I don't think it works that way. And I've had, I've had publicists who, uh, again, with Gotham, who would say, no, you can't, we can't have excerpts in these places. And they overruled excerpts in big places. I just think stuff like that can kill what, you. What was their, what was their explanation for that? That it would oversaturate the market. Hmm. Yeah, I don't agree with that. I mean, I guess there's a certain point where if you had seven excerpts out there in different places, maybe that's uh, pushing it. But yeah. I don't think uh, two or three. I think that's only good. I did. We did a lot on ESPN.com for the Belichick book. And I have to say, ESPN was very uh, supportive. It's in my contract that I'm allowed to write books. Okay, so... Um, so I, it wasn't, they, they presented no obstacles for me doing this Belichick book while I also worked for them. And, uh, there was all, always the understanding. In fact, they'd never asked for this clause to be put into my contract with Houghton Mifflin. I did it myself because I thought it was fair. And that is Houghton Mifflin would have to offer the first, uh, excerpt serial rights to ESPN, ESPN and ESPN.com. And ESPN did not ask for that when I signed the contract to work for them as a columnist slash feature writer, I just thought it was the right thing to do to show good faith to ESPN to put that in the Houghton Mifflin contract. So yeah. the ESPN, yeah, they, they wanted the, the first excerpt and 
we decided to run two different excerpts and it, it was sort of a package on the same day. One of news items in the book, which is sort of a news story. And the other was more of a storytelling, uh, an anecdote about how Belichick, when he was a sophomore at Wesleyan University in Connecticut, was hurt in a practice in a very dangerous drill that was run recklessly by a coach like a dozen times until his leg snapped. And I, it was, it was to try to give the reader an understanding that there's, there are going to be news items in here, Brady Belichick relationship, craft, all that kind of stuff. But also this is a storytelling book. So I don't know, maybe in retrospect, I should have taken uh, a, a second excerpt and moved it to another site. But again, uh, ESPN wanted both uh, and they gave a good play, uh, both stories. And so I don't know, st strategically, maybe that was a little bit of a mistake, but I also thought I was showing them good faith by giving them the best of what I had. And they, they responded by also uh, giving those two excerpts good play. So um, that, that may be something you as a more experienced author might have said, let me take that second one and put it on CNN.com or, or another place. And maybe that would have done, uh, done better by the book. However, I think the two stories on ESPN.com did about 2 million page views yeah, that huge. day. So it's hard to argue with that. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think, uh, I don't think you can go wrong having, having excerpts on ESPN.com on a sports book. Like I think that's actually smart, a smart play. Um, have you figured out, see, here's the money question. And I ask myself this all the time. I talk to different authors about it all the time. Have you figured out what sells a book? <laughs> well, it's interesting because I think the uh, right up front, the, the first thing is you don't have to explain it. Like if, if you have to explain the title, so when somebody asks you uh, what's your next book about, and you have to explain uh, the the answer or go into detail. Mm -hmm. I think you're already uh, fighting a, a an uphill battle. Okay, so right. my first book, and I didn't know how to write a book. I pretty much taught myself how to write a book. I decided to spend Sebastian Telfair's senior season with him. I don't know if you remember Telfair, but of he course. was a, a little point guard out of Brooklyn, Coney Island. Yeah, the and that's right. He had a lot going on in his life and he was trying to go to the NBA. He was this 5'11 kid. He was the cousin of Stefan Marbury and he had a, a cool name and, and a cool game. He was one of these mythical New York point guards. And I thought, let me spend his senior season with him and write about the process, right? I was going to use uh, Telfair to write about the process of sneaker companies and agents and coaches like Rick Pitino recruiting these kids and the struggle to, to land him and get his signature on either a letter of intent or an Adidas contract to turn pro. And I, I, I found myself when people asked, what is your book about? I, I just, I, I couldn't, it's not, it, yeah, it's about Sebastian Telfer, but it's not really about him. It's about this process. And I would do the explaining and, and not that it's that complicated, but uh, other authors would, would tell me that your, your, uh, your book needs to be explained in three words or, or, or less. And so my second book, what's your book about Arnie and Jack, uh, Palmer and Nicholas? Um, what's your book about Derek Jeter? Uh, what's your book about Bill Belichick? And I just think not having to explain it to me from a marketing standpoint ultimately will help you. And it's just the power of a singular word or thought rather than, well, it's about this process, of, you know, the whole sneaker thing and the whole AAU thing. And so that, that's one thing I learned is, uh, 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 keep it short and simple when it comes to the idea that you're trying to uh, get across with your book. 
Uh-huh. And also, also, um, star power. I, I, I picked the wrong subject in a sense. I should have done that book, my first book on LeBron James's senior, the year before. Yep. And obviously it would have been logistically more of a challenge to me living in the New York area to try to do that. But that was the book the year before and I missed it. Wow. You know, it's so. That's such could a you imagine? Could you imagine point? how that book would have done? You remember what oh, LeBron man. went through his senior year? He got suspended, and the, there was yeah. the Hummer and the the Jersey thing, and the whole fight with the athletic association in that state. And that was a crazy senior season, and he became one of the three or four greatest players of all time. That yeah. was the book, and I missed it, and I was a year late. You'd still be making money off of that book. <laughs> no, you really would, because that book would still be selling. You know. Uh, well, somebody else, he, I think, I want to say it was Dan Wetzel had that idea, yeah. uh, and, and he didn't do it. He had, there was some reason, maybe it was a documentary he was interested in, but, um, yeah, I, I think we both missed the boat on that one. Yeah, that happened. Well, just so you know, I'm looking and don't feel too bad because your Sebastian Telfair book right now on Amazon is ranked <laughs> 2,105,647. I think that's so, right ahead of my Roger Clemens book. So we're in good company. <laughs> Well, it must have moved up about 400,000 spots from a week ago. So I'm fired up about that. <laughs> That's so funny. Did you, I mean, did you, when you were promoting that book, did you find yourself bogged down? Like, would you be doing interviews trying to explain it in a sense? Like, did you actually, did that actually have a sort of definitive impact on your ability to promote it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think also you, what, what hurt it uh, quite a bit, Jeff, was I, I think he ended up in the wrong market. It's funny because Portland is a good book selling market. We, we did fine in Portland, but uh, had he been picked by the Lakers, had he been picked by the Knicks, had he been picked oh, yeah. by even the Bulls, it just would have been a whole different deal. And, but at, at the end of the day, uh, having to explain it, I think was part of the reason it wasn't a, uh, a success. I think his career, uh, pretty quickly uh, started to bottom out. I think he was in a, a market that was fairly invisible nationally. Uh, so when they're playing games on the East Coast, it's 1030 at night for the most part. And it wasn't a very good team. And, and so you, you put all that together. And again, I was a year late and it took me, how old was I when I wrote that book? Um, I was, it came about, out in 06, right? Right. So, uh, I'm looking, I think 05. So I'm 05, about 40, yeah. 41. So I've been thinking about doing a book for years and before I finally had the nerve to do it. I don't know how long it took you before you did your first one. Uh, David Black, my literary agent, had been on me for, for years to finally do it. So I just, I picked, and, and I'm not knocking Sebastian Telfer at all. It's just that LeBron James was right there sitting on a tee for somebody to write that season. That could have been uh, a modern day version of Season on the Brink. Right. With, yeah. uh, Feinstein on Bob Knight and which, which yeah. sort of created a genre of books. And so much, I, I actually saw a couple of his high school games and one he played in Trenton, New Jersey, LeBron against, uh, Trevor Ariza and the best team from Los Angeles. And he just, it, it was unbelievable to see him. It was totally a man among boys. And, but the circus atmosphere around him and that team. And, uh, I, I, we all missed it because nobody did that book and it was just right there to be, to be done. Right. You know, what's interesting is you said something you said, um, I think you said, you just said, that's why the, the, you know, the jump, the Telfair book did not, did not succeed. And I, I really think if we work in this business, we become really freaking jaded. You know what I mean? Like your book was published by Rodale. You did have a major release, you know, like I would not call that book a failure. It just was a disappointment sales wise. 
You know what I yeah, mean? Like we've, I, I recently, I recently spoke at a, uh, an event and it was right after the USFL book came out and I went online and I saw my book was at like, uh, my book was like 130th on Amazon. And, um, I said to this group of aspiring writers, they were like, so how's the book doing? And I was like, yeah, it's kind of disappointing. It's only 130th on Amazon. And then I caught myself and I was like, I am the biggest douchebag of all time. Like the audacity of me to say that, you know, like we're actually in the charmed, you know what I mean? Like we're sitting here, our books are published. We're looking at, I'm literally looking on Amazon, looking at your book with its starred reviews. Like I, I still consider that a major accomplishment that you wrote that book and published it. Well, also it was on the fly in real time. I had no, it wasn't like, like my Palmer and Nicholas book, it had already happened. Right. That nothing was yep. going to change for the most part about that story, that narrative. These are two old golfers who had lived their lives in public. And I wrote a book about what they had in terms of their rivalry with Telfair. I mean, it was again, I didn't know what I was doing. I was a I was a rookie author and his senior season was playing out. All kinds of wacky things were happening. One night I'm at uh, Fordham University and he's playing a game uh, against a an opponent from Florida on ESPN two and early in the game at Fordham, he ended up getting hurt in that game, almost broke his leg, which of course would have ruined the book. Mm-hmm. But Jay Z and Derek Jeter walk into the gym together. Now think wow. of that star power, right? So yeah. about, I don't know, there's about 2000 people in this was at Rose Hill on the campus of Fordham. And all of a sudden the doors swing wide and in walk these two icons, the place starts going crazy. And so, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun to, to write that book or report it and research it, but it was nerve wracking too. He could have gotten seriously hurt at any point. He might not have gotten drafted. It might, there might not have been drama at the end as to whether or not he would turn pro or go to Louisville or whatever college he picked. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of things that could have gone wrong. And I had already signed for the advance. Advance was healthy for a first uh, time author. It was very healthy. And so there were all kinds of concerns and worries and, and it was a roller coaster ride up until the point where he got picked 13th in the draft, which is pretty remarkable too. But you're right. That was a major accomplishment for me, actually publishing a book, seeing it in my hands. And when I say it didn't succeed, yeah, I'm talking about sales, but in every other way that you can measure, it was a success, right? And it also led me to do other books, which have been more successful in terms of sales. So. Uh, I, I look at the experience very much as a positive. Yeah. Wait, so I get back to this question though. So I'm looking at, um, of, of what sells books because I'm looking, I Google you right now in the news and you've basically done every same podcast and radio show that I've done. Like I'm literally scrolling down and it's like interview with Ian O'Connor from cover Two podcast, interview with Ian O'Connor, Fox sports radio, interview with W E E I. Like, have you figured out? <laughs> as far as promoting the book on sports radio, on blogs, on podcasts, what moves books? Well, it's funny because almost every show or podcast I was on, they said, we recently had Jeff Perlman on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, like 92% of everything I did, you had, you had already done. Your book came out, I think, two weeks before mine did. So yeah, and it's funny because s- Mark Leibowitz came out two weeks before mine, and I was getting that. So we're basically <laughs> on that. We're ants on the trail of peanut butter. You know, That's right. What sells a book? Well, I, I think it helps to have a little a little news value to it. Now, with you, um, I don't know if there was any newsworthy no. nuggets football wise, but you had Trump, so that 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 was good and and that was big. But there's nobody on the planet. I don't know how many copies of your book 
uh, ultimately will will be sold. But there's nobody on the planet, whatever that number turned out to be, nobody on the planet would have matched that number with the USFL book. I think that you took on a monstrous task in a lot of ways to promote a book about a football league that's been dead for decades. And you pulled it off and made it a huge book. I mean, that book, it probably got higher than 130. What's the highest number it got on Amazon, as far as you know? I don't even, I don't, it didn't get that high. It's probably like 98. Wait, but Ian, I actually want to say something. I want to throw this right back at you. I'm being serious about this. I don't give a shit about Bill Belichick. I look at him and I think, what a freaking asshole, boring coach. And then, I'm not kidding. I have your book in my hand. I just got it yesterday and I, I went right to the Cleveland Browns chapter because it's, to me, it's a really fascinating period in his life. And I'm riveted. And I'm not just saying that I'm riveted. And I think you took, you've written about two guys, Derek Jeter and Bill Belichick, who are known as sort of guarded standoffish, not giving you that much information. And you've produced these major books on them. So I'm actually, I'm calling bullshit on your praise because I actually think what you've done, at least I had Trump, like Belichick is not a dynamic figure. He's a successful figure, but he's not dynamic. He's not flamboyant. He didn't even help you for the book. I actually think no. that's a major heavy lift. No. Well, I think both are. I think yours was and mine was as well. I think just in different ways, in a different context. I think that at least with my figure, he's active. The Patriots are playing. They're, they're, very, they're the most relevant franchise in the NFL for the most part. So I can work with that a little bit. And the USFL, you have Trump. But the, the major newsmakers in that league, Herschel Walker, Doug Flutie, um, and, and, and the owners and executives have kind of moved on and are doing different things or are no longer with us or whatever. So you played the Trump card, no pun intended, um, as effectively as any author possibly could. And you turned a book that really, I think, with most, the vast majority of authors would have had limited success with, and you turned it into a heavyweight book. And that's a credit to you. And I'm not just saying that based on what you just said. I think with with my book, the greater challenge was I had uh, with Jeter. I had a professional cordial relationship with him dating back to his rookie year as a columnist in New York. Mm -hmm. And with Belichick, I had no relationship. The only relationship I had with Belichick was I wrote a column in 2000 when he got hired in New England saying it was a shitty hire. And (laughs) so (laughs) That that was my relationship with Bill Belichick. So you can imagine, I mean, over time, I'm sure he was made aware of that column. And I've done Q&As on it. And, and I've been reminded by 17,000 uh, New Englanders over, over the last uh, 10 years about that column on, on social media. But that was the extent of my relationship with a guy who is the most secretive figure in American team sports, who's built a Kremlin-like organization in Foxborough. Mm-hmm. And to try to get behind those walls, it wasn't that, Jeff, that he wasn't cooperating. He went out of his way to ask and maybe even order others not to cooperate with me. You've been through wow. that before, right? I don't know if uh, not to Brett that Favre degree. Do that? Did Favre do that to you? In, in, did Only he go limited. Out of his way? Okay, very limited. Wait, so Belichick now, actually told people do not talk to him. He asked. He at least asked uh, many people. Uh, I don't know if he ordered, but he or his uh, chief of staff up there, Bears Nigerian, uh, he had him do it as well. And, and I, Bears, you know, it wasn't like he denied it. And, and so I knew it. Like even my childhood idol, Roger Staubach, um, that's who I wanted to be growing up as a kid. And he agreed to do an interview because when he was at Navy winning the Heisman Trophy, Steve Belichick, Bill's father, was an assistant coach. And little Bill would go to practice and he would have a catch with Roger Staubach before and after practice. So, so he'd be a great guy to talk to, right? 
So he agrees to do the interview, and like three days later, Staubach's assistant calls me, leaves me a message saying, Roger's going to have to cancel. I'm sorry. There was nothing about rescheduling. And this woman, I believe her name is Anita. I've talked to her before. Very nice. And she she picks up right away. She always returns your calls. I couldn't get through to her just to find out, well, are you saying that he's canceling, canceling, or he can do it in two weeks? Like, And she would not call me back on it. So I know what happened. He texted or called Belichick. And Belichick said, no, I'd prefer you not do it. Jim Brown, uh, who has a long relationship with Belichick, his wife emailed me back saying, uh, Jim or Mr. Brown would, would like to do it, but, uh, we'd like to honor the coach's uh, wishes as well. So it was clear and other people came to me and told me I've been asked not to talk to you. So, uh, he definitely went out of his way. And in, in some ways, Jeff, I feel he made me better. Um, I think you've probably felt this too. When someone challenges you like that and puts obstacles in front of you, you just, you become more defiant. Like, uh, okay. All right. I'm going to find people you forgot about. And, and, uh, you, you forgot about this person. I just got this person on the phone for an hour. That's and very funny. I'm going to. What do you def- say? Wait, what do you say when people say, is Bill cooperating with this project or is he okay with it? Like, do you get that? Yeah, I got it sometimes. Uh, there are some people who I, I did, I give them credit. I, I called and, uh, or said, Hey, I'd like to meet you for, for lunch. And I, I'm doing a book on Bill Belichick. And they never said, well, is he interested in helping you out with this? Is he cooperating? Is this unauthorized? They just said, yes. Yeah. Okay. I'll talk to you about him. So um, now a lot of those people weren't in position to be uh, impacted negatively by Bill's potential reaction to the book or, or their involvement in it. But right. I, I did get some people and I, I would say Bill is not cooperating with it. Uh, right. I, I'm my, my, but I have one agenda. My agenda is to get it right, which is why I called you because I want to talk to as many people as possible to make sure I get it right. Despite the fact that he won't give me an interview. Um, right. And some people were actually persuaded by that and said, okay, all right, I'll do it. Or some people said, you know what? I don't need the hassle. And I've, I still have a relationship with Bill. I don't want to impact that. And I'm really sorry because I hope it's a great book and, and thanks anyway. And, and I accepted that. Uh, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't try to pester anyone. Uh, and, uh, so be it. Interesting. I just want to say September 7th, 2000 headline Patriots bill is counterfeit byline, Eno O'Connor. um, consider the case of Bill Belichick, liar and quitter and Monday night guest. A man doomed to fail in New England for reasons he's made perfectly clear. I am, um, I'm a huge believer. I've written a million things like that, bad predictions and, stu- <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. And I actually think owning it is a way to go. I, I imagine during promoting your book, did oh, you own God. it? Did- yeah. I actually, uh, I actually have it in my introduction. I, I, I conclude the book. I went to, uh, St. Cecilia High School in Englewood, New Jersey, which is where Vince Lombardi coached. So I, I think I conclude the book by saying this is one older, wiser columnist from Vince Lombardi, St. Cecilia High, who will never doubt Belichick again. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but basically it was Belichick lost the team with the Malcolm Butler benching in the Super Bowl. But I think he had earned the benefit of the doubt in trying to win back that trust with his team and his locker room and that I'd be the last person in the world to doubt him and his ability to do that. And that's how I finished the book. Because uh, in the introduction, I wrote about how wrong I was by predicting his demise. I'd say this, 75% of the NFL uh, agreed with that opinion at the time. I've become the poster boy of all Belichick doubters at the time. But there are a lot of people who had the same opinion. It just, yeah, of course. Hey, 
And he was five and 13, his first 18 games. And then Tom Brady walked into his life and the rest is history. But, um, and, and I never felt like he owed me a damn thing. And I don't know if you felt this way with, uh, when it came to Brett Favre, for instance, mm-hmm. or, or anyone else you've profiled, Walter Payton was no longer with us. Right. But, right. um, I, I didn't feel like Belichick owed me anything. And, and I wanted to make that clear when I was asked that question about whether or not he cooperated. Oh, yeah. I always say they don't, nobody owes me their time. Nobody, you do not. I, Brett Favre, I, I mean, I always said, like, there's no obligation of time to a writer. You do not, Bill Belichick does not have to be happy about you writing about him, and he certainly doesn't have to cooperate. Just like Favre, he didn't owe me anything, you know? Did, so I, did he, I agree with you. Did he ask people not to talk to you, or did he just... Um, you said limited, right? It was just a few people here and there that maybe he, he put off limits. It was the weirdest thing ever, ever. I, um, early on, I tried talking to his quarterback. The guy he replaced at Southern Miss was a quarterback named Eric Young, and he agreed to an interview. But then when I called him, he said, no, I talked to Brett, and he says I shouldn't talk to you. But then, maybe within three months, I went down to Mississippi and sat down with Brett Favre's mother or sister at, their, at his childhood home. And they knew he wasn't talking to me. And they were like, yeah, we don't care. That's fine. We'll talk. <laughs> Never had anything like that in my life. Never in my life. Well, I'll, so, I'll uh, give you one that, uh, so I don't, that's great. That's a great story. I love that story. It's actually not surprising, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, given his family, the, uh, so I, after the Belichick book comes out, I get a call from, or an email from Don Banks. Uh, former mm-hmm. Sports Illustrated writer, now uh, doing some stuff for Patriots.com. He said, I'd like to have you on, on a podcast, and we'll post it on Patriots.com. I'm thinking to myself, Patriots.com? <laughs> <laughs> okay, like I, 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 that's great. Who might I argue? Was, right, who might <laughs> argue? <laughs> so, so we did it, and, and it was posted, and there, I'd never heard any blowback from it. I, I assume Don didn't. I, I hope not. But I don't know if that was a sign that they thought it was a fair book. I don't know that. I certainly don't want to speak for them because um, I, I, I just I'll see them soon enough. And and frankly, Jeff, what I talked to ESPN about this. So I, I cover a lot of NFL games, write columns off of games for ESPN.com. And I thought it was a good idea that the first half of the season, I basically stay away from Foxborough. I did not want anyone to think I would take a game column. The perception, perhaps, if I was praising Brady but not Belichick or praising Belichick but not Brady or Kraft or, or whatever figure it is, that in some way I was trying to promote my book or advance some theory I presented in the book. And I just thought it's probably good to have some distance between me and Foxborough for at least the first half of the season. Okay. Right. And I don't know if that was uh, a good idea, a bad idea, a middle of the road idea, but that was my idea and they actually agreed with it. So I am going to cover the uh, the big game against Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady, Sunday night, November 4th. And I did apply for a credential. It was pretty immediately approved. And I guess at some point I'll find out what people up there thought of the book. Uh, but I, yeah, I did a podcast on Patriots.com and I have not heard any uh, negative uh, or positive feedback from it. So. Uh, I don't know what that meant. It might just mean that Patriots.com has a lot more uh, freedom uh, and autonomy than you might otherwise suspect, uh, which would be a good thing from the organization. But I thought that was interesting anyway. I actually think you're helped by the fact that he's not really well liked. Don't you think? Like, I don't think people are like, ah, Bill, how how dare you have anything negative about our our cuddly (laughs) Bill? Like, don't you think? No, I'm being serious. Like, don't you think the Patriots PR staff is like, 
Well, I mean, he's not right. He's not wrong in what he wrote. Like, don't you think that kind of helps you a little bit? Yeah. And, and actually, I think there are a lot of positive parts of the book. And mm-hmm. I tried to humanize him as much as possible, which I explained to his friends and associates, the ones I contacted, that you guys want these stories out there about Bill, like the human Bill you don't see at the podium in those news conferences. Well, they're not going to get out there unless you're willing to tell them. And and some agreed with me and did tell them. And so I have a lot of those anecdotes in the book. And not that he's going to win the Nobel Peace Prize anytime soon, but clearly I think you would suspect this anyway as, as a, an astute sports journalist for a long time, that figure, that one-dimensional figure and character he plays in his news conferences is not really who he is. Right. I mean, can any human being be like that 24-7, particularly away from the facility, dealing with friends and neighbors and relatives and so forth? And he's not. Um, so he, it's for strategic reasons, he created that character that he plays in his news conferences. And... So I wanted to humanize him. It's not easy to humanize someone who doesn't want to be publicly humanized. And he didn't. But uh, you know it's weird. Hopefully so weird. Like, um, I, I, I've never seen a full story on this. Actually, it'd be kind of interesting. Although I suppose your book touches on it. Like, um, you talk about the character that Bill Belichick, you know, presents of himself for in news, news conferences. And then, you know, Deion Sanders, you know, used to talk about creating this primetime character and different athletes creating quote unquote characters. Who among us in the real world actually creates a character? Like, I'm going to be <laughs> at home. I'm Jeff, the writer, but out there, I'm going to be the Jeffer and I'm going to go around barking at people. Like, who does that? Like, what, what kind of mind creates a character for public consumption? It's really a weird thing. It is a weird thing. I think Bill is, was put on this earth for one reason. That's to win football games and he's a winning machine and he feels like anything that he does that might slightly help his chances to win a football game, he's going to do. And if that means being that character in his news conferences, which he does believe helps him win, win games. I know that like his whole idea is we're in the business of gathering information, not sharing it. So when you're asked questions, you give as little information as possible and he wants his players to follow his lead and they do, right? As you know. When you ask a player, a Patriot, a question, you're going to get very little in return. He, he, and and he's identified a couple of coaches. I was asked not to put their names in the book that he reads their clippings during the week, clippings or internet pieces, things that they're, they're, he feels they're being too candid with the media during the week and he uses that information against them on Sundays. And so he does, he runs his program with the opposite approach. Right. So, uh, that, that is, um, his his character is strategic in his mind, and I really believe that anything he will do, absolutely anything to help his odds of winning that Sunday, and and that that whole act at the podium is part of it. Before you continue with two writers singing yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlman, and I'm here with my wife Catherine, who, and this is true, once won a contest in high school where she had to drop an egg off a building without having a crack. So, uh, how'd you do that? Well. First, I made a little basket out of some glue, some toothpicks, and... Yeah, I don't care. But I won. No, seriously, I don't care. I just wanted to get you here to do another 503 Sports ad. That wasn't nice. Yeah, I know. But you know what is nice? 503 Sports, the kings of throwback sports merchandise. We're talking USFL, we're talking World Football League, we're talking XFL, minor league baseball, minor league hockey, old school Portland State, or, put differently, if you're a man or woman who has long dreamed of owning a Kit Lathrop Arizona Outlaws jersey, well, dreams come true. The merchandise at 503 Sports is handcrafted and all very reasonably priced. So be like Catherine Perlman and visit 503-sports.com. There's a funny book marketing promoting story about my Jeter book, uh, When We Killed Bin Laden. Um, it, it, 
not only did we kill Bin Laden, but it killed my book. So I'm promoting my Derek Jeter book, Captain, Journey of Derek Jeter. I'm on with Duke Castiglione in Channel 5, New York. Yep. And uh, so it's a Sunday night and uh, the interview starts and uh, it's going fine, at least for 90 seconds or so. And the interview is preempted by the, uh, the, the two news anchors in the studio at the time saying that there was a major announcement about to be made by President Obama from the White House. Now, again, it's, it's late on a Sunday night and uh, we're reporting that it involves uh, the potential uh, capture of Osama bin Laden. OK, and now let's go back to Duke and Ian to talk about <laughs> Derek Jeter. Right? So, I mean. <laughs> when they started saying what they were saying about bin Laden, I said, well, we're done. I mean, there's no chance they're going to come back. My book is th this whole segment is shot to hell. And they actually threw it back to us to finish the segment. And here I am wow. in my head talking about this book on Derek Jeter, thinking that we've either captured or killed Osama bin Laden. And my sister-in-law was watching that um, broadcast, that, that show. And she said, when they threw it back to us, the look on my face was priceless. Like she, she said, you could tell by your face, you were absolutely stunned that they were going to continue having you and Duke talk about this lousy book. <laughs> That's amazing. One of the great stories of the century uh, unfolding. And then, of course, uh, and I said to Duke, I think we we went to commercial before Obama actually spoke. And I said, we had to have killed him. I, I just think Sunday night, an announcement at the White House, we're talking 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. This has to be huge. And, and of course it turned out to be pretty huge. Yeah. Well, I just, um, but you know, book, by the way, that, that affected my book because, and I know you would say, no, you wouldn't say this because you're an author and you know, but why would the killing of Osama bin Laden impact sales of a Derek Jeter book? Well, I was booked on a couple, two or three national shows. I immediately got bounced and had that gone through, that could have led to other national appearances. Yeah. And I never got those bookings back because for three, four weeks in a row, that's all anybody was going to talk about on national programs. Right. And I believe I was on with Greta and Geraldo and I think Morning Joe. I think I had three, all three canceled. And so we lost a lot of sales on that. Now that Jeter book did well, but I think we lost tens of thousands of books because we killed. I'm glad we killed bin Laden. I just wished we killed him a month earlier. It's so fickle. And so, like, I kept thinking, so my book came out on September 11th this year, the USFL book, which I thought, I hated saying that. I, I kept telling people it's coming out September 10th because I just hated saying it's coming out September 11th. And then about two weeks before it's coming out, I hear this announcement, Bob Woodward's new book will be coming out on September 11th. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> and those, they all matter. Like, they all affect it in slight ways, kind of like the wind blowing left or right. They do affect uh you wouldn't think of it, but they do. Right. Because well, it sucks the air out of the whole industry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was told it was hard to get on the presses to print books because Woodward's book was selling so rapidly and, and with just incredibly heavy volume that it was hard for other books to actually get on presses. Yeah. Uh, and I, so, uh, younger me, I don't know if you were like this, like younger me would have been like, ugh, freaking Bob Woodward, blah, blah, blah. And older me, I'm just happy that books are selling. Like I have no, I'm not like uh, freaking Bob Woodward. I mean, I'm I'm annoyed that we're coming out the same day, but I'm not annoyed that there's a book that's selling really well. I'm actually happy there's a book that's selling really well. Yeah. Well, these days I had this um, email exchange with John Feinstein, 
Mm-hmm. And he sent me a note about my book and I said, well, it's certainly not selling uh, at, at Feinstein numbers or, or Feinstein rate. And he goes, nothing is anymore. Well, maybe Bob Woodward, but yep. you know, talking about season on the brink and I don't know how many copies that it ultimately sold, but I think it had to be over a million. Yep. And he said, just, it's just, it's so hard today to, to sell a book that whatever you get is um, be happy with it. Uh, and so I think um, writing, defining, uh, biographies on on people in and of itself and you you suggested this earlier is is a victory and 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 so that's the way i've i've approached it realizing that um uh, the numbers today uh, are not going to be anything like they would have been 20 years ago 15 years ago maybe even 10 years ago right so it's a victory anytime somebody buys your book right and and that's the way i've looked at it what did it mean to you to land on the uh your belichick uh land on the new york times bestseller list last week uh, which is awesome. Um, what did that mean to you? Uh, it means a lot. It's the first time I've been on the what, what's called the big list. Yeah, I was on the extended list with uh, my Arnie and Jack and Jeter books. I think the highest either one ever got was 19. I never got inside the, the top 15. And this one got to 10. Uh, I thought it was uh, it was it was a real achievement for me personally, because when you look at all the political books, the Trump books, the Fox books, uh, it was going to be very hard to get on that list. And so, uh, and, and to get on the, uh, the, the non-extended list, what I didn't know until like two weeks before my book came out was that the extended list doesn't exist anymore. I know. I guess I should have been paying more attention to that, but I felt like, well, my book could have lived on that list, the extended list for a while. Um, And that went by the boards. I mean, that to me is, <laughs> I, was, I was like, are you kidding me when I found that out? And shame on me for not even knowing. Uh, it might have scared me off even doing the book to begin with. But right. um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think of that? I, I, I thought that, I don't know the reasoning behind it, but I think that uh, a lot of authors took a hit when the extended list went the way of the Buffalo. Well, it's interesting because now they have, I didn't know that either. I actually didn't know that. I kept. I kept saying, oh, at least I, I'll probably make the extended list. And then it was like, oh, there is no extended list. Oh, well, that sucks. Um, they do do now the monthly lists. So they'll do sports and they do sports, you know, right. a couple of categories. I think sports and recreation and stuff like that. And they, and they and count kind of, that, right? They, I mean, if, yes. you, if you make that, I, I, I was told if you make the sports list, that counts as a New York Times bestseller. In fact, I think the Tiger Woods bio, which came out at a, a more – a better time uh, that was Armin Katayan and Jeff Benedict, all the political books weren't out there. And that got to number one on the sports book list. And technically by New York times standards, if you reach number one on that list, you can say you're a number one New York times bestseller. And yeah, I didn't know that. And um, that was a a great job by, by Armin and Jeff. And so, uh, but yeah, I, I knew uh, going in, it was going to be a struggle with, with all the uh, political books and, yeah. uh, with the midterm elections and Trump and, you know, so it, it, it meant something to me after putting three years of work into the uh, Belichick project, uh, certainly to, to get in there for a week, but also you carry pre-sales with you into that first week. It's really, really hard for a sports book, I think, to be on it a second week particularly yep. just given the, the, the noisy political crowd right now of books. And uh, so that that's a, a little bit of a, of a downer, not getting on it a second week, but 
you can't carry those pre-sales with you week to week. You get it for that first hit. And if you miss on that first week, you're probably dead. I'm also amazed how many political books people are buying. You know, like if to me, I actually didn't buy the Woodward book and I think Woodward's amazing and I'm a huge fan, but I don't need it. I don't need to go to bed at night and sit in my bed and read 50 pages on Donald Trump. And I'm surprised whether you're on the left or the right, that people are diving into political books the way they are. Well, that's, that's the only Trump book I have. And I told you, uh, when, when we spoke the other day that, and I was asked this question, uh, on a podcast. It was at the end of a podcast and the host asked me, what are you reading right now? And I said, absolutely nothing because I'm just trying to recover from this book that I wrote. And when I'm writing a book, I find it very difficult to read one because I'm just too engaged mm-hmm. and consumed by it. But the two books I have on deck that I bought are Perlman on the USFL and Woodward on a guy who used to own a USFL team. <laughs> so, um, and by the way, I was a fan of the generals too. I, I, I was a New Jersey guy and I was all in on, on Trump and Herschel Walker and, and Doug Flutie back in the day when I didn't know any better. And, and, and so, uh, I, I really do look forward to reading those two books. That'll be the only, that Woodward will be the only Trump book I read. Uh, no offense to Michael Lewis, um, yeah. because obviously, you know, Michael Lewis is, is tremendous, but I think one is enough and, and then I'll read you. And I really look forward to that. Cause I, I used to sit by the TV and watch those USFL games and get ticked off when the generals lost. And, yeah. uh, so those were the days they really were. Let me ask you a final thing that I wonder about, um, because I'm always fascinated book signings. So I hate <laughs> book signings. I hate yeah, books. I've done. I've done, um, I did two for this book. One was at my hometown in New York bookstore because I knew I'd have relatives and friends come and that was really fun. Uh, then I did another one that was, that was, that was pretty solid out here in LA. Um, but they terrify me and I have a million different nightmare stories of three people, two people, one person coming. What's your relationship like with book signings? Uh, very similar. I, I, I despise them because the, the <laughs> possibility of being humiliated is just too great. And if it rains, you're, you're dead uh, a lot of times. And, and listen, if you're bringing the celebrity, if you do a book with a celebrity and you're, you're bringing that celebrity, you're golden. You're going to yep. get hundreds of people online. You might get a thousand people without question. Some people will draw 2000 just for that signature. Right. But if it's just the author and, and people far more prominent in this business than I am, sometimes we'll have nightmare stories where six people show up. So mm-hmm. if that happens, Listen, uh, Megan Wilson at Houghton Mifflin, before the yep. Belichick book came out, she said uh, there were a bunch of stores in New England that were interested in having me. And I said, well, I'm not interested in being had because we have no guarantee. Now, if you're telling me the store is going to guarantee a sale of 35 to 50 yep. copies or even 50, okay, right. then I'll do it. Uh, I'll, I'll drive up to New Hampshire and do it. But I'm not going to spend the day in the car and at the book signing and then driving back when we're going to sell maybe 11 copies of the book uh, and maybe less and, and maybe more, maybe, maybe 40 people show up, but maybe not. And I feel like sitting at home, working the phones, the internet, trying to connect with bloggers and, and setting up things and reaching out to contacts, I can accomplish more at home than, than I can at that book signing. So, yeah, I have some nightmare stories. And my first book. Give me your worst. Wait, give me your worst. What's your worst wor- book signing ever? The worst one, and I don't even know if I should name the two fellow authors. Oh, what the hell? Uh, so I went to a mall with my first book. Mike Vaccaro, who you yeah, know, we love Mike. 
And Adrian Wojnarowski, who you also know. Yep. Uh, and so the three of us did a book signing. I forget who talked us into this. We all had books out at the same time. It was my first book. And it was in a mall. And I believe it was the Palisade Center Mall in Rockland County, New York. Been okay. there. Great mall. Outside of a sports bar. I think it was the Fox Sports Bar. Okay. And we had a table set up. So there's three books. Guess how many books we sold combined? I'm going to go uh, four. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> and I forget who, who sold two, but it wasn't me. It was either Adrian or Mike. One of those guys sold two, and the, and the other guy sold one, and I sold one. A guy came up to the table about 45 minutes through this disaster, this absolute catastrophe, and said he loved my columns, da, 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 and he, even he didn't buy the book. So I just, from that moment on, they've terrified me. Uh, I just think now I've had some, I'm sure you have too, Jeff, I and mean, you've had so many tremendous books, bestsellers. I'm sure you've had some very successful book signings. Um, I've had about, <sighs> or you've had, have you had three, two, three, had four? Some, I, I would, by very, how do you, how do you classify very successful? Well, uh, I would say very successful would be 50 or more. Successful would be 30 or more, 25 yeah, to right. 30 I, or more. I'd say I've had five, five that qualify. Sure. Okay. That's not bad though. I mean, I, I've had, yeah. I've had four books. I'd say I've had three to four that have been successful, but two that were very successful where we sold a hundred to 200 books, but that's it. That's good. And, and so I've had just as many disasters and I just don't think it makes sense to do it. Um, and, and particularly when, when, a lot of people just going online now in these days on Amazon or wherever and just buying the book that way. And I, I find that uh, if a bookstore is not going to guarantee X amount of copies sold or – and I, I haven't done any books with people. I don't know if you have, but that's not my thing. When you mm -hmm. do a book with a major public figure, sports, politics, whatever, you're guaranteed a pretty good turnout right. if that person right. shows up with you. And right. I don't do books that way, so I don't have that guarantee. I just want to tell you, I wrote a book about the Dallas Cowboys years ago. and um, I remember it. Yeah, I had, I, that was great. I loved it. Thank you. Well, you were the one. And I had a... Uh, no, uh, no, no, no. That sold pretty well, didn't it? No, I, that sold I okay. Cowboys fan. Yeah. But I, uh, I, uh, I did a signing at Fort Hood, the military base in Texas. And I was in Dallas. And they said, we have a great, great promotional opportunity for you. We're going to do a signing at the Fort Hood base. It's going to be awesome. And I'm like, great. You got to drive out. You know, early in the morning, you drive out there. And uh, Fort Hood newspaper doesn't does an article on me the day before, so I'm thinking oh, this is gonna be this is gonna be really good. And I kind of have this image in my head like a room, bunch of bunch of troops in the room. Maybe they give them a book because you know they're serving, and we talk cowboys, and it's gonna be great. I drive out there. <laughs> I'm greeted by a guy who says to me, literally, "We don't get many celebrities around here," and um, <laughs> I'm thinking this is gonna be a problem. I go, they put me in front of their basically their Walmart. They have a Walmart on their base, kind of a Walmart type facility. They're about 100 books in a stack. They put me at a table and they go, attention customers, Jeff Perlman is signing his book. Jeff Perlman is signing his book. I sat there for four hours and I sold three books. It was the most mortifying, <laughs> horrifying, <laughs> demasculating. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Why do we do this to ourselves, right? I mean, I don't know. So I, I don't. And you know, I, I kind of feel bad sometimes. I've gotten some offers Locally, I live in northern New Jersey to do book signings on Belichick, and I've said no. And I just feel like I'm not going to set myself up for any sort of disaster here. But I, I really appreciate people asking. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's a compliment and it's, it's nice and you hate to say no, but uh, I've explained that unless there was uh, some sort of guarantee, I just think that uh, the downside here is too significant. And I really do feel like at home by making phone calls and sending emails and doing interviews, I can actually sell more books doing that than I can going to your average book signing. So no offense, but I'll take a pass. Yeah. I actually think it's, it's interesting. Those kind of things, they definitely humble you. I would say my, 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 my lowest, most important moment as a writer, as far as humility is in 2011 or whenever it was when sweetness came out, I made the bestseller list and I was feeling great about myself. And then I looked who was directly above me on the bestseller list. And it was, um, it was, uh, the name of the book. I don't know what the name of the book was, but oh, a sure thing by Snooky was one ahead of me on the New York times list. That's <laughs> when you're like, does any of this really matter? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. And I know you, you always interview hundreds and hundreds of people and just pour your everything into these well, so projects. You. And then Snooky and then Snooky beats exactly. you. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And Lucky. what do you do at that point? I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, just don't do any more books because that's going to happen again and again and again. And I, I don't want to necessarily take a shot at Tim Tebow, but I think every time I've written a book, Tebow's put one out and oh, yeah. I, I feel like. <laughs> I know he's not interviewing hundreds of people. <laughs> no, I mean, I've, uh, wait, Ian, I've had this talk with, so Jonathan Igg is a good friend of mine and he wrote this, the amazing Muhammad Ali biography. And you write the Belichick book and I write the USFL book and Leibowitz writes the NFL book. And these are books where, you know, and I, other, you know, again, I keep saying other guys, Howard Bryant on Hank Aaron and, you know, a million different writers just busting their asses and researching and reporting and devoting their lives to these subjects. And you look at the top of the list and there's Tim Tebow and he didn't even try to even write the book and he slapped his name on it. And I'm sure it's, I'm sure it, there's conviction behind it. I'm not doubting his conviction, but there are moments when you're, it's very hard not to get frustrated in the book world when a Snooky or a Tebow comes even, along. How, how about Tucker Carlson slapping ship of fools together? And I don't know, six weeks, he probably didn't do the writing and how much reporting did he do on that? That, that goes to number one on the New York times yeah. bestsellers for a week. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it, it's, it's some of these um, political talking heads yep. and, and celebrity, uh, pseudo celebrities who, who slap together books. And, and it is annoying. It's maddening, but nobody's forcing us to do this. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I think you're right. When, uh, you have to look at the, uh, take the victories where you can find them. And then just doing a, a, uh, defining biography of the USFL or Walter Payton or Brett Favre or the Mets or the Cowboys. That those are all huge uh, professional accomplishments and will be around before we're all gone, right? Or after we're all gone. I mean, and, and so I look at that, uh, I look at it that way, uh, with, uh, with Belichick and Jeter and Arnie and Jack and even my first book. Yeah. Um, they will endure uh, uh, long after I'm gone, hopefully anyway. Right. Right. And I would say ultimately for both of us, I think you would agree. Like it's, it's, it's more about the journey than the final moment. I mean, it's more about. I'm sure the the inter- the the highs of landing some interview about Bill Belichick or finding that nugget of information um, is sort of what it's really all about. And the the PR at the end and the promoting the month we spent promoting it is uh, it's kind of gravy, but it's not the reason we do it. No, no, the reason we do it is the feeling you've had a million times in researching your books as thoroughly as anyone has ever researched the book and coming up with a nugget 
uh, and I was talking about you there, not me, but now I'm switching to me. No, but uh, it's the same. It's you too, right? Yeah. Of course. The, uh, of a college lacrosse teammate at Wesleyan telling me that Belichick once doctored his stick to make it illegal so he can help the guy <laughs> catch the ball. He's now a liver transplant surgeon in California. And when I left him a message, he thought it was a practical joke played by one of his frat brothers. Uh, he, and he wow. Googled me and then realized I was a real person and called. And told me the story. I didn't know that that story, but he goes, by the way, you know, Bill once took my stick home. He, he made it, he made the pocket on my lacrosse stick illegal to help me catch the ball. And he left a string loose. And he said, if the ref wants to look at your stick, pull this string before you hand it to him. That will make the stick legal and then hand up the stick. That's so awesome. uh, when, when I got that uh, nugget, it's, it's a small thing, but it says a lot of big picture things about Belichick, right? From when he was 20 years old. And I said to myself after hanging up, and that that's what I live for is that story. And man, I love that stuff. Know. I love that stuff. People don't get it. Yeah. Also, like I'll I'll be so excited finding a nugget like that, and I'll I'll be like, you're not going to believe this. And my wife's like, yeah, that's that's good. And my kids are like, okay, dad. But I totally feel what you were saying right there, 100. percent The joy and euphoria of that little moment is insane and priceless. So I'm, right. I'm with you 100. percent Yeah. Um, well, Ian, listen, I am a uh, You've been kind of singing my praises here, but I got to say, I am a, I'm a huge admirer of your work. And, uh, you know, we share an agent, we share a publishing house, we share a publicist. So we should share a, lunch a, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we totally should. We totally should. But there, I always feel a kindred spirit with, you know, sort of guys in this business and women in this business who are, who are busting their ass to, to, to make it work. So, uh, I have nothing but nothing but respect and sort of admiration for you. So thanks for doing this. I want to thank today's guest, Ian O'Connor, for joining me on Two Writers Sling and Yang. You can follow Ian on Twitter at Ian underscore O'Connor and visit his website at ian-o'connor.com. You can also read much of his work in ESPN.com. This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise. You can visit the website at 503-sports.com. My still newish book, Football for a Buck, The Crazy Rise and Crazier Demise of the USFL, is available everywhere. One can listen to Two Writers Sling and Yang on Apple Podcasts and Google Play, and reviews truly are always appreciated. Music by the Fleeky Deaky MC Whiteout. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep writing. A young Steve Young, NFL had the legions before the comb over, before the Trump Towers, before Stormy Daniels.